0: Please stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read Jude 3. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The word of God for the people of God. Read New City Catechism question 31 with me. What do we believe by true faith? Everything taught to us in the gospel. The Apostles' Creed expresses that we believe in these words. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting.
1: And the kiddos may be dismissed with Keely. Follow her. Welcome. It's good to have you all here this morning. We're looking at foundational truths throughout the Bible this year. This question is, what do we believe by true faith? What do we believe by true faith? And we're looking at today the Apostles' Creed, which is a summary of what we do believe. The answer began with everything taught to us in the gospel. Now, if we were going to cover everything taught to us in the gospel, we would cover the whole Bible. Uh, But a lot of times it is necessary to try to condense what we believe by true faith. And the Apostle Creed has done that very well for the last couple of thousand years. And so we're going to, today, look at contending for that faith. That's what our scripture said in Jude. It said, I'm eager to write to you about our common salvation. What he does is he's summing that up, what our common salvation is, by saying, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith that was once delivered. They already had the faith that was once delivered to all the saints at this time. And Jude was saying, contend for it. So today we are going to look at why do we have creeds? We're going to look at a creed in the Bible, we're going to look at beginning the Apostles' Creed and going through it a little bit at a time. Uh, Teresa and I recently watched some of Matt Chandler's series on the Apostles' Creed, and he did 12 weeks, which is taking basically the 12 articles. Protestants have taken like just the 12 Articles of Faith, they call it, which is taking the Apostles' Creed and reducing it into 12 statements of faith. This is what we believe, 12 statements of faith. So he spent 12 weeks going through each statement and teaching on that. Uh, I thought maybe I could briefly go through it in one Sunday and just highlight some of the spots, but I think it is going to take me two weeks, so I'm still going to be just doing a very broad stroke across the Apostles' Creed. But at first, why creeds? And I, I want to say that there's a difference between the Word of God and creeds. First Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. When Jesus taught the parable about the sower and the seed, what, you, what was sown was the Word of God creeds are not the word of god they are a summary of the word of god and they have a lot of scriptures backing them up and i believe they're very important but just wanted to start off with the beginning that the creeds aren't scripture 1st corinthians 15:11 paul writing there says whether it was i or they so we preach and so you believe so what we preach he had established was the gospel he encouraged timothy to preach the word the gospel that's what i will be doing i'll be preaching the word i'll be pre- preaching scriptures i'll be showing where these statements of faith come from why we have them and what are the scriptures the word of god that back those things up so i will be preaching the imperishable word of god the the message that you believed in that was preached to you that you have received, that you stand on, that you are saved through, which is the gospel, the saving power of the gospel. So, the Apostles' Creed or any other creed is not the word, but is helpful, very helpful. I hope I show that also in summing up what the gospel is. Every Sunday, we announce the gospel and we try to say it together. What that is, is something that I've read similar to others, and put together and worked on the last 15 years as a summary of the gospel. That's what we say when we were saying that right at the beginning. What we believe. And so those are important. Those are important things to believe and to stand in and to understand. And it's good to study the scriptures and know where each one of those statements come from. But the Bible is our and is the only inspired, infallible rule of faith and practice. So Scripture is where we, we get our faith and where we get our practice. So when we ask, what do we believe by true faith? We say, everything taught to us in the gospel. That's, that's the beginning of the answer. And then it gives the summary of what the Bible teaches, and all of it's 66 books all the way through. It teaches us what true faith is, And the Apostles' Creed is a good summary of it. But creeds, on the other hand, are fallible. Uh, They're teaching tools that summarize our understanding of the Scripture. My next point was a creed in the Bible, question mark. A lot of you might be going, I don't think there's any creeds in the Bible. But I want to show you one in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to read these two verses together. Uh, not together, but I will read them to you. 1 <laughs> Corinthians 15, 3-5 says this. This is the, the word of the Lord as Paul proclaimed it to the Corinthians in chapter 15, verses 3-5. through five. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Now Paul's going to go on and talk about other appearings. The, The very next verse he says, He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. So you realize this is very early on, right? Paul's writing 1 Corinthians very early after uh, the the death of Christ at the resurrection. This is so early that all of the eyewitnesses are still around, most of them, are all still around and still alive. And so he is saying you can go and ask these people who saw that Jesus was raised from the dead and know that, and he's going to expound on that. But this portion here is different than his introduction to this chapter. First Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, he says, Now I would remind you, brethren, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. So this is the gospel he preached. Which you received, you received the gospel. In which you stand, they were standing in the gospel. And by which you are saved, you are saved through the gospel. Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. You know to to save us so to all who believe in it, and so we're not ashamed of the gospel that's what it is and he's saying you you stand in it, you're saved in it, you've received it and he he goes on to say, "If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you unless you believed in vain. did you really believe what you believed in this true Christian faith, and how he is going to summarize it here and, and 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 looking at this and studying this and Commentaries and scholars, look at this. When he gets right here, he's actually giving an early creed that Christians believed in. This is most likely something that you would state upon your baptism, I believe in. You know, to be baptized, this portion of scripture right here is something that Paul says, I received. I received this. Uh, Looking at this and studying it. It's very interesting. Last week, I kind of looked at a scripture in Galatians 1, 18 through 19, which I was talking about Paul's life and his testimony some, and it says there in Galatians 1, 18 and 19 that Paul spent 15 days with Cephas. You guys know who Cephas is? Peter. Okay, so uh, he spent 15 days with Cephas, and then he goes on to say, and the only other apostle... I spent time with was James, the Lord's brother. Now, there's at least four different Jameses that are pretty active uh, in the Bible uh, and in the New Testament there, but he specifically says James, the Lord's brother. This would be the author of the book of James also and the pastor of the church that formed in Jerusalem. He was not a believer till after the resurrection. Uh, Jesus' family did not believe who who he was or were followers until we see in Acts after the resurrection, they go, wow. So the resurrection was that convincing part of the gospel that brought James the Lord's brother. But we see here in Galatians that Paul spent 15 days with Cephas and James the Lord's brother. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, two people that he specifically mentions that the Lord appeared to, verse 5, and he appeared to Cephas. And then later on, after he says the 500, he mentions James, the Lord's brother, the Lord specifically appearing to him, the resurrected live, living, raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, appeared uh, to over 500, and then specifically, Paul mentions these two. He spent 15 days with these two apostles, you know, foundational teachers of the Scripture in the early church. That is important. And so, This was something very likely formed within the early church. Here is what you believe. This is a summation. This is a creed that you would believe in. What what sums up what you believe in to be a candidate for believer's baptism? You believe, you repent. You believe, you put your trust in Jesus Christ. What are you putting? You know, there were so many different people coming from all different forms of background in the roman with the roman gods with the greek gods with greek philosophy with all kinds of, of beliefs people were very believing people very faith oriented people very much believed in the gods and so what is it now that you've come to jesus what distinctly is it what is the creed how would we summarize it what i preach to you what we have put into a summary of what we believe and what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5 is that Christ died for our sins. That's the first thing you want to know. Now, when he says in accordance with Scriptures, that's like all of the gospel. But he's narrowing it down and saying... Christ died for our sins. So when you start looking in accordance with Scriptures, this would be like Paul studying for three years in, the Ara- in Arabia before he even went out and began to preach after his seeing Jesus on the Damascus Road, the resurrected Lord. This would be something in accordance with Scriptures that you would spend the rest of your life studying. What does it mean that Jesus died for our sins? In accordance with all the scriptures, but summarize it: he died for our sins, pretty short, right But what would that mean? His atoning death, what does atonement mean uh, his his substitutionary sacrifice for our sins what does that mean what does it mean in all of the old testament when they sacrificed animals they had to be pure and spotless and blameless what does it mean that they would lay hands on them and take the sins of the people and that animal would take on that sin that they would sacrifice that animal And then that sacrifice of that animal with the sins of the people would be burned outside the city. What does all that mean, dying for our sins in accordance with Scripture? What does all the typology of all the Scriptures mean that lead up to that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for all of our sins? I mean, you could go on forever, and people do their whole lives in looking at the amazing, glorious cross of Christ but this is just a summary right in accordance he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures very short summary then that he was buried that's a whole subject right there that he was buried but it's in kind of a goes with and that he was raised on the third day so how many days would he have been dead 3 days he even said this to uh, you know, in, in Matthew, you know, give us a sign, all this, you know, he's like, I'm not going to give you any sign. The only sign you're going to get is a sign of Jonah. He says, here's a sign. Son of man's going to be buried in the heart of the earth three days and he will rise afterwards. Right over their head, but he did it. That was the sign he gave them. Resurrection, 500 witnesses, 12 apostles witnessing it. The Lord's brother witnessing it, testifying that they saw the resurrected Lord. This was the sign that he gave. This is the gospel, but, but that he was buried, that he was dead. He was dead, dead for three days, not just to some kind of resuscitation, swooning, death. Maybe, you know, Islam and other people say probably happened. Didn't raise from the dead, wasn't the Son of God. No, he was dead. He was buried. That's part of the gospel. That is part of what he became victorious over was death. The enemy of death. He was victorious over that. you got to know he was buried. He was buried. And on the third day, in accordance with the Scripture, was raised. Was raised, the resurrection. Now, Paul is going to spend the rest of this chapter talking about the resurrection. Why? Why? Why this part of the creed that he died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried in accordance with Scripture, and he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, is he going to spend the whole rest of the chapter on the resurrection? You find out when you begin to look at this chapter, and this is what creeds do, they expound on themselves to explain when false teachings come into the church, heresies, all kinds of things that it must be expounded upon. And so what Paul is expounding on is the resurrection because he says, how can some of you say, this is in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, where he lists all the witnesses, and then Paul says, and I am a witness of the resurrection, one of last seen the resurrected Jesus. And then he says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, she's saying they're proclaiming, that's what they're preaching, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So what were they doing? Some were saying, there ain't no resurrection from the dead. Christians in the church at Corinth were being taken away in error by false statements, by false... So he brings up this creed, I preach this to you, that he died for our sins according to Scripture, he was buried according to the Scriptures, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures. How can you say, if that's what you believe and you stand in, that there is no resurrection? And he's going to teach for the whole chapter about that Christ was raised from the dead, and so will you, and how well you be raised from the dead, a bodily resurrection, raised with a glorified body goes into a lot of detail 50 some verses teaching to where in the end he says oh death where is your sting oh grave where is your victory teaching in the summation of this is what creeds do they summarize what the christian faith is but they expound on it from scripture to confront errors and false teaching in the beginning, it's to say, this is what true faith is as a, as, a, as a Christian. And when you list those three short things and people start getting off in the air, you go, okay, we need to further expound what that means to say that Christ rose on the, thre- on the third day. And so Paul does that, and so do creeds. So after the Apostles' Creed, one of the earliest known uh, creeds that, just continued to survive written early in the second century as far as we we know having copies of something very similar to it very little changes all the way through we have a creed developing in uh, 325 AD the Nicene Creed called Nicene because they met in Nicaea Uh, and they got together and what was happening was there was some false teaching going on in the church so the Nicene Creed, you can see it and read it, and it looks just like the Apostles' Creed, except they have added some things They've broke into some detail. Why did they do this? They did this because there was false teachings in the church. And so they added some things to the Creed to help clarify and to combat the false teaching that was going on. So instead of we believe in God, the Father Almighty, they said we believe in one God. And instead of just stopping by saying, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, they said, they said, besides the maker of heaven and earth, you think that would cover it all? The maker of heaven and earth, that's everything. But no, people coming in, Gnostics, Gnosticism, a very deeply rooted uh, secret mystical knowledge that you, know, you had to get in to study to really know things, knowing Gnosticism, uh, you know secrets, the secret. We have that out, right? The secret. Yeah, like there's this secret knowledge. Not that it's public knowledge that Jesus died for your sins and was rose again, but you've got to just understand these little these secret things. Gnosticism crept in and had all kinds of false teaching and doctrines in it, very embedded in and with the church and Christians would come in. And one of the things that they would say is that um, God was created. There were other gods. There's... Uh, you know before him that you know before god and they're they're spiritual their spirits gnostics were very into angels and spirits and things like that god didn't create those see the the apostles creed just says he created you know the heaven and, and the earth you know the things up there the stars and the earth but not like the spirits See, he doesn't say that you know so anyway uh, I, you know i might be going in that's you can go into a lot of detail and study gnosticism and some of the things that they taught and believed but you have maker of heaven and earth, of all things, visible and invisible. So they have to add that uh, to to help break that down and confront false teaching in the church. And that is scriptural, that all things visible and, and, and invisible, out of Colossians. It says that he created all things visible and invisible in Colossians 1, 16. So these are right out of Scripture. They're not just trying to confront heresy and say blah, 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 blah. there's taking these things and, and putting scripture behind them saying this is what we believe, we clarify what we believe, who God is and that he created all things visible and invisible, he created the invisible world, he created the, the angels, he created the spirits, he created everything, so you just got to add that. And you get into DNA, that was invisible for a long time. The atom, something that could not be divided. And we've divided and divided and divided and divided. we got quark, quark mystery, all that. He created it all. All those little invisible things. They can take quark and split it way over here and put it in California and put it over here. And somehow they're communicating and they're going, what's quark theory? You know, How is it doing that? Well, maybe it's because God created everything invisible. <laughs> you know, it's mind-blowing what God created. But they add that. Uh, invisible, And you can go through the whole creed. Uh, one of the things that was they were confronting was uh, this person, uh, Arian. It became Arianism. It's a very deep uh, form of what Jehovah Witnesses believe today. And what Arian came forward with was, uh, and confronted was the doctrine of the Trinity. Now you see this in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God the Father, and then we believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. So it looks pretty clear, you know, but no, Aaron came in, no, that's, you know. And so they they have to break down, and then he said Jesus wasn't God, Jesus shouldn't be worshipped, all these things, which right down the street here is taught uh, in the Kingdom Hall. And so these things are not true Christian faith. That's not what we believe. If you can't believe in these basic tenets of faith with the Apostles' Creed, then then the scripture is saying, how can you be Christian? And so what they added in this creed was, besides uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, they said again, and in one Lord, so they put the one in there, one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, that was in there. But then they add all this about the divinity of Jesus. They say, begotten from the Father before all ages. Where does that come from? Well, John 1, 1 says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that emphasis in every Greek scholar says, because the Jehovah Witnesses in their book change it to, you know, uh, was a God. And it's actually the exact opposite, the emphasis on was God. There, it's actually saying that, that Jesus was God, the Word was God. It's, it's actually emphatic, was God. And then John 1, 2 says he was in the beginning with God. In the beginning. They have that essence that is the same. They are not created things. They are God together. They are of one essence. They are eternal. Neither one of them was made God. Jehovah didn't make Jesus the Son. And so it breaks that all down. It says... Uh, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. So he's clarifying, and they're clarifying, the church is clarifying uh, who Jesus is, that he is divine, uh, begotten, not made. Obviously, John goes on to say, the Word became flesh. Yes, he became the only, that's who's given in John 3.16, the only Son, the only begotten Son of the Father. Uh, not made but begotten born of a woman but conceived of the Holy Spirit Right? divine, conceived of the Holy Spirit but an actual all man born of a woman and so it's clarifying these things it's saying this is what we believe as Christians And and then it concludes of the same essence as the Father Jesus is of the same essence as the Father and so through him all things were made and so Jesus is God He's divine. So you see how creeds kind of work a little bit. This is just uh, giving you some of the taste of creeds and why they exist and in, in the church. The Apostles' Creed. We have arrived. Let's hit a couple of these topics in the creed, and we'll continue it next week. But here, the 12 Articles of Faith. That's another name for the Apostles' Creed Uh And so, looking at it within these twelve articles, the first one: I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. That's it. That's the first uh, article of faith. So, in the Father, this is this is important. We sing about the Father. When you think about the Father, you think, or are to, from biblical perspectives, I realize in our earthly things we have a lot of issue with father many times and it's only grown but in the biblical sense you are to think of father as as loving as as tender as as caring so i the devil attacks fathers and fatherhood he destroys it with a vengeance because of how importance it is to a, a, a child's identity but what we're saying today is we have a good father That's who he is. He's good. He's all good. And you know who I define myself as? Is that I'm loved by him. That's who I am. I'm loved by a good, all good father. That's my identity. That's who I am. That's where it is built and rooted upon is that I am loved by God, the father. And so when we say I believe in the father, it's something that you can study and look at in the, the Bible about the Father's love, his unending love, his love that is just not giving up, always persistent and pursuing. Unsearchable are its depths, its widths, its heights, widths, lengths. I forgot that one. Searching out his love, the Father, the Father. We believe in God the Father. He is loving. Jesus taught us that relationship in the Lord's prayer. It begins. You heard it. Okay. Our Father. It's it's coming to Him and saying, You're a good God. I'm going to bring my request before You, and here they are. Because You love me. You have my best interest in mind. You're a good father. Even through all the hardships. We sing about that in the new song, right? Even through it all, he's won the battle for you. And he's standing with you through it all. I love having God on my side, especially in those hardships and hard times. He's a father who loves. Galatians 4, 1-7 through says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But... When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's you too, ladies. You're sons because you are an heir. And sons are heirs. And you're, the sons and daughters are heirs. And God's, we are adopted. And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We'll just keep on going. Just keep on going. Come on. The Father has given us His Son and yet adopted us in that love that He has for His Son, To make us sons too. It's beautiful. You are God's. He is your Father, and your identity is first kept in that He loves you. We see that I believe in God the Father, Almighty, All Powerful. Isaiah 44 6 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Beside me there is no God. That's almighty. I like Isaiah. He, just, he lays it out like that. There is no God beside me. I'm almighty. I'm all powerful. That is God. You can dwell on that and feel secure in that. There is no God. There is no power greater than God. And God is sovereignly in control. God Then, after that, is maker of heaven and earth. God is creator. God is maker of everything. We saw in the Nicene Creed that it's everything too, heaven and earth, invisible, visible. Colossians 1.16 breaks it down, everything. Uh, But Genesis begins that way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Probably why they just stopped right there. He's a maker of all things in heaven and on earth. Right there, Genesis 1.1, creeds take scriptures and they put them into our foundational uh, faith and say this is what we believe. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's what God Almighty, our maker, with Jesus, creating all things through and with Jesus. The second point says, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Jesus is derived from the Hebrew name Yeshua, or like Joshua, Yehoshua. And that word means Yeshua, Yehoshua saves jesus that was his name you shall name him jesus because he will save his people from their sins sins name him yeshua saves <laughs> because that's what he will do he will save his people from their sins and so we see jesus is his name but we believe in jesus christ now That's not like his name. It's Jesus, better written, Jesus the Christ, because what you're saying is Christ, which is Christos. It's the same word as Messiah, Mashiach in the Old Testament. It is Jesus the Anointed. We have the Anointed One. So when you say Jesus the Christ, or Paul's favorite term was Messiah Jesus. That's what he called Jesus over again. Messiah Jesus. Messiah Jesus. And we see it, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ, he's Messiah Jesus. So what does that mean? Anointed Jesus? But what does anointed mean? Anointed for what? To do what? What does Jesus the Christ mean? To say he's anointed. Anointed one was the king. Always meant the king. So Paul's saying, Mashiach, Jesus, Messiah Yeshua, Mashiach, Yehoshua, King, Yeshua who saves. <laughs> I mean, it's neat just to break down when you're putting the name of who Jesus is, that we believe in Jesus Christ, who he is, just looking at the roots of his name. He's the anointed one. It means king. You see, anointed meant Jesus the king. For unto you, Luke said in 2.11 is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, looking at Jesus our Lord, Lord and King. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. It, it has to do with He owns everything. He's King. He owns everything. You, as even a believer, are, are, you own nothing. You're a steward of what He has given you. He's King. He owns it. You just go, what do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do with it? And you bow to him. You bow to him. You prostrate him. You you bow to him because he's Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's what it means. He's king, Lord. He is the anointed. He is Jesus the Christ anointed king who is Lord. Who you do what he says. You do what he says or you're you're not following in Christian footsteps. If you don't say Jesus is Lord. Your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Saying Jesus is Lord, Romans 10, is throughout the Bible. Saying Jesus is Lord means you do what he says. Jesus is Lord. And that got you in trouble in Acts 17. Paul's preaching. And he's gone to Thessalonica. And there in Thessalonica, he's preaching for about three Sundays in a row. Sabbath, Saturdays in the synagogue. And Paul was preaching the gospel, and here's what he ends up getting him into trouble. He says, the gospel, which we saw was that creed in 1 Corinthians 15. He explained, proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. That means to die, the cross, explaining the cross. To rise from the dead, preaching his resurrection, the truth of the gospel. And this is what he was saying. This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Remember what that means? Is the king. He is the anointed. The anointed. He is the king. Now, that got you in trouble. And the Jews knew that would get you in trouble, so they went after Paul. They couldn't find him. They arrest this guy who Paul's staying with in Thessalonica. His name was Jason. You guys know any Jasons named in the Bible? Acts chapter 17 here, Jason. So he goes to him, and they drag Jason in and a bunch of the other brothers that are, christians and here's what they say about him these men have turned the world upside down now they're here in thessalonica they've come here also and he says they were acting against the decrees of caesar saying that there is another king jesus that's what got him arrested that's what got him dragged in when you said jesus is the christ he is the anointed he is king Caesar goes, uh-uh, ooh, who are these Christians? Nuh-uh, you cannot say that. Caesar is the only Lord and King, and you will say that only. We will drag you in and get you arrested. This was one of the great persecutions upon the church, saying Jesus is the Christ. That's what this says in the Creed. It's a basic foundational that you believe that Jesus is, Is the Christ the Lord? He is the King and Lord. It's central to our faith. First Corinthians 8 6 says, Yet for there is one God the Father, we've talked about that, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. Oh, yeah, God the Father, God the Father, first Corinthians 8 6, from whom are all things, but what about Jesus? And one Lord, that's King, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, the King, Yeshua who saves the King, through whom, Jesus too, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Right there again, you're, you're bringing in the teachings of the Trinity, bringing up the Father and Jesus as one, one Lord, through whom are all things and through whom all exist. So, This is the first opening of the first two statements of the Apostles' Creed. You guys happy with it so far? (laughs) Uh, So next week I won't do that background on what creeds are. I I won't look into 1 Corinthians 15 about a creed in the Bible. I'll jump right in where we left off with the Apostles' Creed on statement number three. So today... Who do we worship? We can worship God the Father, Jesus his Son, and the power of the person of the Holy Spirit, which is toward the end of the creed. We can worship Jesus because he is God, because we believe he is God. Uh, I, I, keep, I I use the Jehovah's Witnesses a lot, but they, they still teach not only that Jesus wasn't God, but you can't worship him either. That's a, a no-no. Uh, And so we can. And one important scripture was with Thomas. See, Thomas wasn't there at first when he appeared. And so he's like, hey, man, I'm not going to believe until I like see, you know, the, the holes, you know, from his hands and feet. And I put my hand right there in the side where I saw that spear go up and kill him and make sure he was dead and blood and water flowed. When I put my hand in there, then I will believe that somebody could actually raise from the dead because people don't come back from the dead, and I will not believe it. Okay? So Jesus appears to him and says, Thomas, come here. You know what Thomas does at the end of that story? He bows to him, and he says this statement, My Lord and my God. And he worships him at his feet. You see, Jesus is worthy of worship, and we're going to worship him um, by singing uh, this song, Oh Praise the Name. Now, it's also called Anastasis. not real good at uh, the Latin, but basically what that means is to stand anew. You stand anew. See, resurrection from the dead, standing anew, is what Jesus did. Jesus standed, uh, stood anew in his body. He said, give me a piece of fish and I'll eat it in front of you because they feared that he was just a ghost. And he said, does a ghost have flesh and blood? Give me a piece of that, not just fish, but broiled fish because they were eyewitnesses and they remembered it and they actually threw in a little non-significant word that it was broiled so he ate it before them and he said does a spirit have flesh and blood that you see that i have see you know you can eat in a glorified body this is great (laughs) and so this is who we're going to we're going to cast our mind to calvary where jesus died for me where they laid him down in Joseph's tomb and buried him for me, where he arose on the third day for me. And we're going to sing, oh, praise the name of Jesus forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let us come and as we come to sing, we'll take communion together. Jesus celebrated the the last Passover feast of his disciples in the upper room. And Paul teaches on it in 1 Corinthians. And he says, in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks to the Father for that bread. And he said, this is my body, Jesus saying, this is my body, take and eat. And when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the symbol of bread representing the body of Jesus and partake together. In like manner, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood take and drink of it and when you do do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until i come let us partake together of the cup we thank you father for your only begotten son jesus christ our lord we thank you Knowing our hearts to worship him in spirit and in truth as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen. praise the Lord would you please receive this blessing may the Lord bless you may he fill your heart with faith may you fight the battle of faith to your last dying breath believing in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and defend the faith and contend for it all your days here on earth in Jesus name, amen. Amen love one another